You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Father Fred Schmidt and recorded on the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, January 29th, 2023. Friends, today we continue our sermon series on the Nicene Creed, and our focus this morning will be on these lines. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. For us and for our salvation salvation. I look back over the thousands of times that I've heard people use that word, that bit of stained glass language, and I wonder, do we even know what salvation is? I suspect that most of us think exclusively in terms of salvation from things, salvation from sin, from the guilt that goes along with sin and salvation from hell, that place of endless torment that comes as the price for failing to do what we ought to do. It is a message that conjures up pictures of TV preachers pacing, sweating, and shouting, all the while having a series of affairs with church secretaries. It reminds us of macho, non-denom pastors shouting and telling men to man up. And it calls to mind pictures of Westboro Baptists picketing church gatherings and veterans' funerals with signs declaring God hates, well, pretty much everyone except Westboro Baptists. They reach deep down inside people where their insecurities and fears lie hidden, and they twist that fear until people come running, looking for comfort. Once you take their message at face value, you are trapped. To raise doubts about the logic of what they preach is to prove that you are just the kind of sinner that they were talking about in the first place. The logic of salvation from narrative is so easy to spread, in fact, that it has created a second trend in the American church that is not much more than a reaction to that fundamentalism. Often labeled progressive Protestantism, that version of the Christian faith holds that there is nothing wrong with us that can't be solved with a bit of therapy and the right kind of politics, of course. It believes in a Jesus who is thoroughly human, a combination of Karl Marx and spirit person. And the last thing anyone in that version of Christianity needs is to be saved from anything. Thank God. The Nicene Creed, based on the first three centuries of the church's experience of the resurrected Christ, is an antidote to both of those views of the gospel. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
Jesus does want to save us from some things. He wants to save us from putting ourselves at risk, which is the essence of sin, from destroying ourselves. He also wants to save us from hurting one another. In a word, he wants to save us from the power of sin and the death that it brings in all of its forms, both small and large. Hell isn't a destination. It's our creation. It's the consequence of choices we make when we behave as if there is no God. And if we act as if there is no God, we don't need to wait for hell. Hell is with us and grows along the way. Greed consumes us from the very beginning. It takes hold in our hearts. Lust overwhelms us in the moment we open doors to it. Hatred and envy poisons our relationships the moment we allow it to define our attitudes toward one another. God wants to save us from that destructive power and he wants, us to, wants to save us from its consequences. Sin is its own punishment forged one link at a time. But what fundamentalism misses and progressive Protestantism fails to understand is that salvation from the consequences of sin is not delivered by a God who stands at a distance from us and is bent on destroying us. Salvation from the power of sin and death is something that God longs to protect us from by coming alongside of us, by offering us forgiveness, mercy, and restoration. The other thing that both fundamentalism and progressive Protestantism misses is the fact that God also saves us for, not from, new life. This is the affirmation of the creed and the heart of the gospel. We are saved for lives marked by meaning, freedom, joy, fulfillment, peace. And that new life is given to us with the promise of intimacy with God as well as the strength, wisdom, and direction needed to live that life. Put another way, we are healed and made whole. Everywhere the Christian turns, there is reason to rejoice in the saving power of God. Meaning arrives from the conviction that God has made us, that we have a purpose, and that God's purpose for us cannot be frustrating. Spend any time with the personal, moral, and social challenges that we face, and one gets a good sense of how that conviction can ground us and give us hope. Far from running from the world, Christians are able to confront the chaos and confusion of it and live in ways that suggest a way forward. Reassured of the presence, the promise of God that offers us new life, we can confront our own failings and weaknesses with the confidence that God will give us strength. Even in moments of weakness, we are reminded that in Christ, we remain strong. So no moment, 
no matter how difficult, can overwhelm the work that God wants to do in and through us. Now, how is that possible? Well, as the creed suggests, it is being saved from sin and for new life in and through the incarnation. God's presence among us in human flesh is what makes this possible. And the incarnation does this in two ways. Jesus completes and models that path for us in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. In other words, Jesus paves the way, Jesus provides the way, Jesus shows the way. That is why we are here every Sunday. That is why we receive Christ's body and blood every week. That is why we read the gospel over and over again. That is why through the course of the week, we return again and again to the strength that experience provides. In word, sacrament, prayer, and action, we participate in the life of Christ. And we are invited to know his mind and his heart. We are invited to lay down our fear and live with his courage, to revel in the love that he has for us, and to embrace others in love. We are, are offered lives of enduring significance that cannot be touched by illness or death because we participate in his work in the world. Why this is necessary, why it could not be accomplished with a few words, and why the need for salvation could not have been avoided completely is something that human beings cannot adequately explain. That is part of the reason that the church has long described the incarnation as a mystery. It can be understood to a point, but because it is the work of God, a full understanding of it is beyond our ability to grasp. But there are at least four things that we can say. One, our need to be saved from and for is written into our nature as human beings. We are made in the image of God, and to participate in the image of God is to be free. Without freedom, you and I would not be capable of love or relationships. We would be mindless robots. But implicit in the freedom to choose God and choose the good is the freedom to not choose them. And therein lies the need for salvation. All too often, in our own immaturity and willfulness, we prefer to be our own gods. So if we wonder why we need salvation, that, at least in part, is exactly why. And from that flow other realizations that explain why the incarnation is necessary. We are, for one thing, not capable of delivering ourselves. The Apostle Paul spoke for all of us when he told the church in Rome, the good thing that I want to do, I never do. The evil thing which I do not want, that is what I do. People are not basically good. 
That does not mean that we are not unloved. It does not mean that we are unlovable. It does not mean that we are without value in God's sight. But it does underline our need for a power greater than our own. In an important way, we are all in need of a 12-step program, and the Incarnation is the ultimate intervention. It is God's power made real on our behalf. But it is not offered at arm's length. It comes alongside of us. And in the Incarnation, Jesus embraces the good, the bad, and the ugly of human existence. Another truth that it points to is, is that because we are incapable of helping ourselves, knowledge never has been and never will be enough to save us. So what God accomplishes in the Incarnation could not have been accomplished with golden tablets or a memo to the human race. Our own history makes that clear. We have turned some of the most subtle secrets of nature into weapons of mass destruction. Some of the best educated individuals in human history and some of the most culturally advanced cultures and nations in history have drug the world into murderous war. And things are not changing. As I've said before, this is the age of information. It is in no danger of being the age of wisdom. And the other truth is this. None of us are capable of the sacrifice that Christ made in taking on human flesh. It is not just that none of us would surrender our lives for untold billions we don't know. That would be hard enough. The other problem is that none of us occupy a place in the world or the cosmos from which dying in that cause would lead to healing for the world. Only the one who made the world possesses the power to fully heal it. And that is why the creed moves from affirming that God is Father and Creator to the affirmation of the Incarnation. God makes our salvation possible. And the two truths about God are not unconnected. They are deeply related. Only the one who made us can deliver us. As Dorothy Sayers put it, the Incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born into poverty and suffered infinite pain for all of us. And he thought 
it was well worth his while. Let us pray. Gracious God, lover of souls, renew your image in our lives. Write anew the gift of love and grace. Animate our minds and our hearts. Teach us to forgive. Lead us to care in ever deeper and wiser ways. Fill us anew with freedom that we might be your children, renewed and strengthened by your hand. This we ask in the name of the one who seeks and renews us, who with you and the Holy Spirit reigns one God now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738 where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.